Recall these words of Jesus that we often use when we receive new members into our family of faith here at the Neighborhood Church. He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you, that you might go and bear fruit. Do you remember when Jesus chose you? How did it happen? What did he do? For me, I don't know. I don't remember. I was a child. Sometime in my early youth, I came to know and have a relationship with Christ, but I don't remember any specific event of knowing that Christ had claimed my life. It just seeped into my awareness by going to Sunday school week after week and being in a Christian home where that was part of what we talked about and lived into reality and it it just became a part of of who I am. I don't know how it happened. It's It's a mystery for me. I simply accept it. And I also know that there is a mystery in human relationships. If you stop and think about it, there's a mystery in every relationship you have. Whether it's the most intimate or more casual, there is a mystery in our relationships. The human person, each of us, is a mystery. You know, in a marriage, it's a real mistake if one or the other or both uh, in the couple think they have the other person all figured out or have them boxed in, you know, so that you, you totally know them. Now, you may know, if you're, if you're married, you may know your spouse better than anybody else in the world, but I dare say you don't know that person completely. And here's how I know that, because I've learned that the more I know about myself, the more I realize I'm a mystery. The deeper I go inside myself, I bump up against mystery. I know myself pretty well. You probably know yourself pretty well. But I sometimes do and say things that surprise even me. I bet you do too. Well, if that's true for me, then it has to be true for Michelle. And so I can't think that I've got her all figured out. That's a mistake. It's a limitation on my part, not hers. So this mystery in relationship, what I've discovered is, somehow the mystery in me is reaching out to the mystery in her. And it's not something we fully understand, and it's certainly not something we control. But it leads to respect, it leads to acceptance, and further discovery. The word mystery in the Bible means hidden. Hidden. And the Greek word is mysterium, which means closed or shut. Sort of like when a door is shut and you don't know what's on the other side of that door. It's hidden from you. That's what the Bible means by that. And, and the mystery of Christ is something hidden 
in this world, we're told in Scripture. It's not just something in heaven. The mystery of Christ is here. The mystery of Christ is among us. So today, I want to briefly explore four aspects, four things that we can think about in regard to the mystery of Christ. I want to talk about the mystery of incarnation. I want to talk about the mystery of forgiveness or grace, the mystery of faith, and the mystery of resurrection. I can't do an in-depth study of all these, so we're going to hit them pretty quickly, but I want you to get a, a better sense of the breadth of mystery that surrounds us and is within us. So first, the mystery of incarnation. I want, to, I want to put forth three models. The first is the high school yearbook model. This summer, we were going through a lot of old stuff, some of it all the way back to my parents' generation. And there's a sense when people have reunions that they want to go back and reconnect with what happened a long time ago, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And this idea is sort of the idea of salvation works by our remembering what God did in Jesus so long ago and then trying to pattern our lives according to that. It's sort of like wanting to go back and, and live as we did and to remember those relationships as we did in high school. So it's like, it's like putting that time into our mind's eye and then living that way, but we can never really be in contact. So the act of remembering somehow makes us, if we can do that just right, that would make us agents of our own salvation. Now the second one I want to put forth is the ticket window. Um, that means that we're saved because the word incarnate in Jesus is that Jesus is the official seller of tickets to the heavenly stadium. And with our SoFi Stadium tour, I was thinking about this image of stadiums and um, that somehow Jesus is the one who sells the tickets and then we are those who have... And, and the tickets, by the way, are only sold to those who have the spiritual or moral purchase price. Okay? Not everybody gets in. And it implies that somehow, if we just get it right with Jesus, that then we get our ticket. But this model breaks down because it's transactional. It's a transactional model, much like we see in our commercial world. It, it makes some earning power come on our part, and it's preconditioned that we have to do something, be so spiritual or have a certain moral level, ethical level, that then we get a ticket put in our hand. The third model I want to put up is that the stadium is open and free for everyone. Everyone. Everybody is saved. Everybody has been given a free ticket. This is, to me, the meaning of the Incarnation via the mystery of Christ. And not only that, but also we are put into the stadium. 
by God's goodness and God's grace. We are given free pop, hot dogs, beer, banners, whatever, you name it. We're given everything that we might have to celebrate in the stadium. This means that it is grace, not works, that makes this model work. For God so loved the world, it calls for no merit, no works on our part, only faith. Because Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is elsewhere in Scripture, but it connects with our passage for today. I will draw, not some, all. All people to myself. Everybody is invited to come into the stadium. Except those who, who are leery and they refuse the ticket. Or they don't think it's fair that everybody gets a ticket. You probably don't know anybody like that. Um, I happen to know some people like that. So they choose not to go in. Like the elder brother in the prodigal son story. He doesn't want to go to the party. He doesn't think it's fair that the younger one got grace. So he chooses. He excludes himself. God doesn't exclude him. Parties or celebrations, or we might use the stadium idea, a festival that takes place in a stadium, um, it connects with, with the parables, many of the parables that Jesus told. Um, because in these, those who are lost or those who are outside are restored and everyone is included. Not just, it's not just a reward for being ethically or spiritually affluent. In Jesus, the mystery didn't show up in a world from which it was previously absent. It had been there all along. The mystery hidden for the ages. God made full, fully manifest in the mystery of incarnation. So next comes the mystery of forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus died for all the sins of the world. Not just some, not just mine and yours, but not certain other people. All. All the sins of the world. Forgiveness, you see, is there before we even ask. We do that every week to remind ourselves not to get cocky and not to get ahead of ourselves, but to remind ourselves to be humble before God and each other, which is why we have confession each week. But forgiveness is there all the time, ready. We just have to receive it. I mean, think about parents in the best sense of the word. You may or may not have known this in your own parents. You may have, for those of you who are parents, have tried to reflect this in your own parenting. We are human. We are limited. But if God is like a parent only more so, then parenting is never testing the child to see if, if they are worthy of the parent's love. No. And love from the parent is not conditional. It is unconditional. You see, it's already taken care of. Our salvation is done. 
The only thing necessary for salvation is a Savior. And we know who that is. To mess up is human. It's, it's not transactional, though. It's not saying to the child, if you do this, then you'll get that. If you do this, then I'll love you. That's not how parents, in a godly sense, love. I, I remember the old uh, transactional analysis. I'm okay, you're okay, and that's okay. No. I'm not okay. You're not okay. But that's okay. <laughs> the mystery of forgiveness makes us all, all, all okay. The only question is, do we accept? And will we forgive as we have been forgiven? That's the cost of forgiveness. The cost, it's not cheap grace, but once we are forgiven and know it, we're called to forgive others. How many times? Seven? No. Seventy times seven. But it's free, it's gift, it's for all, and it's that simple. I want to reread a part of our text for this morning from Colossians. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death. So as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel, I am now rejoicing, this is Paul, I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. I became its servant according to God's commission. See, that's, that's when he felt called, Paul's call to serve, to make the word of God fully known to you. Here it is in verse 26. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but now has been revealed to his saints. The mystery of faith is tied to our, I don't like the word believing, um, to our trusting, to our having faith, to our faithing, to our faithing in this deepest sense, in the realities and this mystery, trusting it, even though we don't understand it, trusting it with our whole self. Because he concludes, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is, here it is, the mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is He whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone, everyone, not some, everyone, mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that He powerfully inspires within me. To be mature in Christ to be as Christ-like as we possibly can. To let that which was operative in Christ be operative in us. 
That requires trust. So I want you to maybe, as you look and try to understand and discover something more of the mystery of Christ, I also want you to think about it. Because the good news can become a problem when we don't trust fully or you think you don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. I I, I don't deserve this. Or since the message came through someone else, didn't come directly to me, so therefore it can't be true. Trusting is what both seeing and thinking are about, along with, with hearing all these ways of, of integrating this. It requires trust. Well, finally, we come to the mystery of resurrection. Resurrection requires faith and it leads to faith. Because nobody saw it actually happen. Nobody saw it actually happen. Nobody was there to witness it in the moment the resurrection occurred. Nobody. There were people who saw what happened afterwards, an empty tomb, the resurrected Christ. But nobody was there when it happened. And yet, Christ proclaimed as resurrected is what gives us the church today. Had there not been a proclamation of resurrection, I dare say there would not be a Christian church today. So I want to read from Luke a portion that... George read for us. Um, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything about me written in the law, Moses, the prophets, that's all all there. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's the thinking part. We have to use it all. We have to use it all. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures And he said that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead and then rise on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all, all the nations. You are witnesses to these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. That, of course, was the Holy Spirit. Well, then, he lifted his hands, blessed them, and they were astonished. And he departed, and they returned to the temple praising God. Do you understand all that? I sure don't. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Sometimes we just take it for granted because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Um, When Jesus died, he was dead. There's one of the models we use to teach children about resurrection is the cocoon, you know? Cocoon goes into the 
um, wraps this, or the caterpillar wraps himself in a cocoon and then later uh, transforms into a butterfly. The problem is that model breaks down. The caterpillar never dies. You see, when Jesus was crucified, he was dead. Dead as a doornail. Not pretending to be dead, not asleep, dead. The Greek notion at the time was immortality, that somehow when a person dies, their, their, their spirit that's been inside them throughout their earthly life just floats, floats free from the body. That's immortality of the, of the spirit. That's not the notion of resurrection, not as the Hebrews and early Christians understood it. No, Jesus died, and the only way he had life after that was because he was resurrected, always in the passive voice, always in the passive voice, he was resurrected by God. He didn't raise himself. He didn't just sort of come alive again, or sort of a near-death experience. He was dead, and whatever life he had was a gift from God. And that's how I understand resurrection. I don't understand it. I don't mean to say I understand it. That's how I accept it and receive it. That just as my life here today is a gift, Whatever, whatever life is beyond this life, I don't know what it is and I don't understand it, but whatever life might come, I trust it will be a gift from God. Some people believe in reincarnation. That's not resurrection. Resurrection is a gift of life for all, I would submit, just as every human life here on earth is a gift from God. The mystery of Christ. Again, verse 27. God chose to make known how great among all people are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is a lover of the world. God is a lover of the entire creation which God created. God loves it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The unworthy. Those who live justly and those who live unjustly. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, Jesus said. Hear this wonderful vision as recorded by the writer in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. See, the holy city the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. The home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God, and they will be God's people. And God himself will be with them. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
Death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See? See? I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. There is a lover connected to this mystery. And that lover is God. And the closest we can come to it is in our most intimate relationships with a close, close, close friend, family member, or spouse. Because in Christ, all things hold together. And that's from Colossians 1.17, just prior to our text. I love the image, going back to the idea of party and celebration, I love the image of dancing. Dancing is something where we lose ourselves in the music, where we give ourselves to the music. And have you ever been at a, I don't know, a, a wedding reception or a party, and everybody's having a great time, and you're just really getting into it, and then the band takes a break? And you think, oh, shoot. And so people go back to their old conversations. Some couples argue, and maybe go different ways to talk to different people during the break. Business deals are made during the break. But I want to suggest to you there's a mystery hidden here. Because I think for some, the music can still be heard with ears of faith. The dance God invites us to is where the music is always playing. The music is always playing for everyone, but the music, of course, is hidden. The music is in the mystery of Christ. Faith is, is singing mystery beyond the words that are sung into reality. If you look again at the words of the last verse that the choir sang to the opening hymn about music, you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about. Faith is singing mystery and the mystery of Christ to those who haven't yet heard it. T.S. Eliot, when reflecting on, on the cross, wrote these words. The still point of the turning world And without it, there would be no dance. Without it, there would be no dance. This music, this unseen reality that we resonate with, that connects us to mystery in ways we don't fully understand, but we know it's there, is forgiveness. It's free grace. It comes through the incarnation. It comes through all these different ways the stadium is open. The party is open to everyone. It's free. Friends, if you listen carefully and quietly, I think, 
I think maybe you can just hear it. The mystery of Christ. Amen.